0: Hello
1: and welcome to the podcast, An Intelligent Look at Terrorism. I'm your host, Phil Gursky, President and CEO of Borealis Threat and Risk Consulting in Ottawa, Canada. Today's episode is episode 16, and I have a treat for you today. Until now, you've been listening to the podcast and you've been listening to me drone on about terrorism and what it means and what I think about it. And today's episode is going to be slightly different in that I have somebody else doing a recording with me. Somebody that I'm going to pose some questions to about terrorism and their views on it. So somewhat similar to last episode, which was the Ask Phil episode, but this time the Ask Phil is not going to be Ask Phil, it's Ask the Guest, and it's going to be live. So I want to welcome to this podcast my very special guest, happens to be my daughter Erin. So welcome Erin to the podcast, say hi, hi to the podcast world.
0: Hi, Podcast World. Thanks for having me, Dad.
1: And so we're going to have a conversation about terrorism. And the reason why I wanted to bring Aaron in is that here's somebody who obviously is very close to me, but somebody who has not worked in terrorism or counter And the, the purpose of, the, of this episode is to gain some insight understanding as to uh, what somebody who does not have a specialization in terrorism thinks about terrorism. So we're going to have a dialogue. I've got some questions prepared. And I gave these to Erin in advance, and she had some time to think about them. So let's just see how this episode goes. So the first question I have for you, Erin, is going way, way back to the events (laughs) of 9-11. First of all, how old were you when the 9-11 occurred?
0: I had just turned 12 that July.
1: And so where were you in your lifespan when you were 12 years old?
0: I was in grade 7 at uh, a local high school here.
1: Okay, so the first substantive question is, uh, what are your memories of 9-11? What do you you recall from that day?
0: I actually have what I think is a very clear memory of that day. I could be wrong about some of the specific details, but I do remember we had just gotten into one of our classrooms uh, with my French teacher, and everything before we had arrived at that class was perfectly normal. It was a normal day. And... Once we arrived, she was crying and told us all to sit down and that she had something she needed to tell us about. And I remember us all being a little freaked out. Our teacher was crying in front of us, which was not something you saw every day.
1: And you had no idea why she was crying?
0: Absolutely no idea. No, because we didn't have cell phones. We didn't have, you know, access to the news 24-7 at the time. We were pretty young. Um, So no one had seen or heard of what had happened. And uh, she sat us down and kind of explained to us at that point, I think only the first plane had hit. And uh, I remember us being in complete disbelief as to what had just happened. We, I don't think we fully grasped the severity of the situation. It just seemed like a really large accident. Um, but once the second plane hit and the teachers were all very distraught, I don't remember learning much that day. Everyone was just trying to process what had happened. And I remember after school walking home with one of my good friends and I actually ended up going to her house instead because um, uh, my dad was not going to be coming home. So I went to her house until my mom was home so that I could, uh, I wouldn't be home alone, basically.
1: So the first plane hit, and this is clearly the react- your teacher was crying because the first plane had hit. And then a uh, half an hour or 20 minutes later... The second plane hit. I remember where I was at the time. I was working at CSIS and we were, in fact, were watching television screens as to what had happened. And like you just mentioned, we thought it was some kind of a freak accident or a tragic accident in which a, a plane had veered off course or lost control or whatever. And then as I'm sitting there looking at TV screens, we see the second plane come in and basically deliberately drive into the other tower. And at that point, we know it's not an accident. This is It's either an incredibly freak two accidents and they're all something more serious to it is that kind of your memory of that day from your perspective when you were made aware that in fact this was not an accident this was something more serious
0: i don't think that any of us necessarily came to that conclusion that it was clearly uh, a deliberate attack i think we were quite young at the time so that sort of concept was a little high level for us the idea that somebody could plan to uh fly planes into buildings killing thousands. Um, I I think it was more the contextual information that the teachers were giving us. Uh, They were quite emotional, um, but they were trying to explain to us how serious this was and uh, that we didn't know much at the time, but that there would most likely be more information coming out. Um, I was actually just talking to my brother-in-law about this today and he was in high school at the time and he remembers... He and his friends thinking it was an accident when the first plane hit, and then once the second plane hit, they came to the realization that it was more.
1: Okay, so you, you walked home from school that day, and obviously by the, by the time you walked home, in fact, the four planes had, um, three planes had found their targets, and the fourth plane was ditched in Pennsylvania when the passengers basically revolted and prevented the hijackers from achieving their goal, which is believed to have been possibly the White House. So do you have any recollections of what the end of that day was for you back in September of 2001?
0: I do remember when I got to my friend's house, her parents turned off the TV and did not turn it on again until I had left. Um, they told us that, there were, uh, that they were reporting on it, but that there were things that we were too young to see. And I do remember uh, getting home later that night once you had arrived home and uh, you were very serious, uh, but told us that there was nothing to worry about and that we were safe. And as far as we knew, we didn't know anyone who had been affected by um, the attack. So I, I don't remember being scared or worried or even particularly emotional that day. I think it was all too much for me to really grasp. It wasn't until sort of the weeks and months afterwards. I still have magazines from that month that I had picked up um, depicting it was once I saw the images of people jumping from the windows that's when it really hit mm. I think.
1: I find it interesting that you have recollections of me telling you it's okay something very bad has happened but you know don't panic don't feel afraid here in Kent. I have no re- recollection of telling you that <laughs> but then again the immediate weeks after 9-11 are a blur to me because I wasn't home much of the time yes. so it's fascinating to hear this from your perspective that. For whatever reason, I had the wherewithal to say, it's okay, you know, we don't have to get in a car and go somewhere. So, that's I, I, quite interesting. So, that was a long time ago. Yes. Um, you don't work in counterterrorism. You I don't doubt. work in terrorism.
0: <laughs> Much to your chagrin.
1: <laughs> so, this, this is 2019. What, what, what does terrorism mean for you today? I mean, how often do you think about it? How often do you read material on it? What, what does terrorism evoke for you as a concept? now, you know, early August of of 2019, a a full almost 18 years after 9-11.
0: I think now it doesn't really uh, bear much of a role in my life other than the fact that I read your, um, your blog posts and that is kind of my way of keeping on top of what's going on around the world. I think when I was in journalism school, I learned about it a lot more and was kind of on, I had to be on top of the news every day. So at that point, I was really taking in all of the events and attacks that were happening all around the world and kind of how big this issue was. Uh, whereas now, it's it's not something I think about on a regular basis. I think most people of my generation are now kind of more struck by the issue of gun violence in the States or of the Me Too movement or there's all kinds of other sort of crises that uh, we are helping to find solutions to and terrorism is not really on that radar anymore
1: you mentioned your friends so would you say that you just said that terrorism isn't something that you think about an awful lot it isn't a big part of your life would you say that's a pretty accurate answer for the kinds of friends and people that you hang around with on a regular basis as well
0: i would say so yes and i think it also helped with my friends that they had a connection to me and i had uh a conduit to somebody who was working in counterterrorism. So I was often the one letting people know that, no, it's fine. We're not, there's no threat to us. Yes. I know that's scary that that happened when you have things happening in in Madrid and in Paris and in London. Um, but I was often uh, one of the members of our group that would just kind of bring people back to a realization that that doesn't mean we're in danger. I do remember um, when you and I were in Paris, we just missed quite a large attack Mm -hmm. um, that happened, I think, while we were on the plane. Exactly. In in November of
1: 2015, the the, uh, Bataclan theater attacks. Yeah,
0: And I do remember that really striking me, that we were so close to being in the vicinity of a terrorist attack. And I also remember I had a friend of mine who was in London during the Subway bombings. Oh, the 7-7
1: bombings. Okay. Yeah. In 2005.
0: And so I remember messaging him and making sure he was okay. And I do have friends internationally who will check in as safe when Mm. there's an attack in their vicinity.
1: That actually leads nicely into the next question. You talked about how you were able to frame things in such a way that you didn't have to panic. You were able to contextualize things. So... You know, in 2019, uh, we, you know, in, in Canada has been relatively not completely immune from terrorism, but terrorism is a rare occurrence in this country. Of course, we had the two attacks in 2014, today's part one here in Ottawa. Mm-hmm. I'd be really fascinated to hear what you thought about the attacks on Parliament Hill in October of 2014. We'll get to that in a second. But generally speaking given that Canada is is not beset with terrorism in, to the same scale that for example Paris or London have been or God forbid Somalia Afghanistan Nigeria Pakistan etc how worried are you as a Canadian and in, in a general way about the threat of terrorism here in Canada
0: I would say in Canada not at all it's not something that i that ever um Comes to mind when I'm making any kind of plans to go out uh, to crowded festivals or Canada Day or anything where there's going to be a large amount of people. I don't ever think about um, that type of attack happening or affecting. So what's a non-factor? It's a non-factor. I do think about it when, because I do enjoy traveling quite a bit, Mm -hmm. and it does cross my mind when I'm going to a larger Mm -hmm. uh, metropolis such as London or Paris. I think I'm a little bit more on my guard um when i am traveling to those places
1: would you go as far uh, in considering travel to foreign lands about let's say consulting what canada because canada will have a threat level that is out there both for canada as well as the global affairs canada website will have warnings that maybe you should um, avoid travel to a certain area mm-hmm. is that something you would think of consulting before you plan to trip abroad
0: I don't think it's it's an instinct that I have, but I am reminded by my mom to do that whenever I am going on a trip. So I do actually check it. And uh, well, interestingly enough, Amnesty International just put up a warning about traveling to the States based mm-hmm. on gun violence. Gun violence right. So there are all kinds of things that can happen when you're traveling, right? And especially when you're somewhere that's unfamiliar. Um, and if you seem to be a tourist, there are always threats. Mm-hmm. Um but I would say most of the trips I've gone on, the threat level is generally not something that worries me.
1: So the fact that Canada has an official threat level, thats a five scale system ranging from low to, I guess, urgent. It has been at medium or the midpoint scale since the attacks in 2014, which, again, we'll get back to in a second. So the fact that Canada has been at medium for the past five years is really of no relevance to you.
0: It doesn't really bother me because as far as I'm concerned, putting it at medium is more of a sort of covering your bases type of idea. You're not saying that there's a a good chance that if you go out to an outdoor concert that there's going to be a terrorist attack. You're saying that there have been threats in the past. There have been plots that have been um, dismantled. And... That there is a chance that something could happen, but not that it's something that we should really be taking into consideration if we're going to be leaving our houses.
1: Right. So I've already asked about 9-11, and I wasn't planning on on asking this, but it's come up in the conversation. Do you have distinct memories of October 22nd, 2014, when Michael Zahap-Deboe approached the National War Memorial, which, of course, is an iconic symbol in downtown Ottawa? He had a shotgun and he fired and he killed Nathan Cirillo, the corporal who was on honor duty at the time got back in the car, drove to Parliament Hill, tried to storm the centre block of Parliament, got as far as the lobby and was shot dead by the RCMP slash Parliamentary Guard. Do you have any distinct memories of that day?
0: I have a very clear memory of that day. Um, Partially because that was the route I would often take to work uh, was through the downtown core. So, um, And I was often at the War Memorial so that was um, that did kind of give me a bit of Pause to think that had I changed my route that day, I could have been in the area when this was going on, and not knowing how I would react if I saw a gunman walking down the street, um, knowing not knowing that it's not uh, you know multi-round assault rifle, mm-hmm. um, would you try to stop him or mm-hmm. would you try and keep yourself safe? Um, and also I was working at the Canadian Museum Mm -hmm. of History at the time, which was just across the river. Mm -hmm. So we were under lockdown and we had cops stationed outside of the front entrance. I do remember calling you to ask what was going on, if you knew anything further. And I think you were in Toronto at the time. Between Toronto and Picton on a car, yeah. I do remember you, maybe you don't recall this, but you told me to stay away from windows just in case. So that scared me more than the actual (laughs) events happening at Parliament. There was definitely a fear going on in the building that, you know, we're another national institution were a pretty noticeable target if for a long time that morning they were talking about multiple shooters Mm -hmm. um so we were concerned that somebody could just take the quick trip across the bridge and you know target another national institution and i also i have a lot of friends who work as journalists both on the hill and in the downtown core so when we were receiving news that there could be multiple shooters stationed on rooftops mm-hmm. um i remember texting quite a few of my friends just making sure they were inside mm-hmm. that they were safe that mm-hmm. you know there weren't sight lines to the nearby mm-hmm. rooftop so it was it was quite terrifying and two of the bridges closest to parliament were closed after that mm-hmm. uh so by the time i walked home I, uh I walked the long 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 way
1: <laughs> so you would have been 25 when the attacks took place on Parliament Hill just turned 25 yes uh, for those who are not familiar with the events back in 2014 uh, as Aaron said that the incident itself was over in a matter of minutes but because there some witnesses had seen someone running away from the National cenotaph there were there was the, the assess or the I guess um, suggestion or conclusion that there was a second gunman yeah. and that in fact there may have been uh, the possibility of further attacks which lends to what you're saying about uh, you know is it possible that someone else was at large and I, I know there were there were reports that there was somebody in the rito center which is a large shopping center yes literally down the street from the cenotaph and this is why the i think the state of alert shall we have or lockdown uh, Last as long as it did because the law enforcement had to make sure, in fact, that the only, that there was only one shooter, that he, in fact, had been neutralized, i.e., killed, and that there's no longer any threat. So, yes. uh, yeah, that and was. And
0: it took a while to get that confirmation.
1: As it usually does, I think law enforcement tries to err on the side of caution and rather than give the all clear within minutes, they want to make sure that everything everything is okay. Yeah. And you're absolutely right. It, it, ironically, it's uh, as somebody who looked at domestic Islamist extremism for as long as I did, the one time when. Uh, what, was, what I've been analysing and talking about for, for years was actually happening. I was in a car uh, driving from a briefing of Toronto Police to a briefing of the OPP, the Ontario Provincial Police, for whom I later ended up working. And I so I was 400 kilometres away from where all the action was and it was quite frustrating from my perspective. Sort of a more general question. Um, I think I know the answer to it, but given that you don't have uh, an inordinate fear of terrorism, given that you don't worry about terrorism threat levels, is that the kind of thing that you would worry about going to a concert downtown or going to blues Fest or whatever kind of thing. What priority do you think the Canadian government should give to counterterrorism in 2019? Amongst the other, all the priorities that the Canadian government at the federal or municipal or or provincial levels has to deal with. In other words, do we give it enough attention, too much attention, just the right amount of attention?
0: I think right now, it seems like it's not being given the top level of attention as it once was. You're seeing a lot more about um, Indigenous reconciliation and uh, equal rights um, for, you know, different genders, sexual orientations, um, uh, ability levels. And so I think that as it stands right now, it's not the highest priority. And I think that's the way it should be. I mean... Just from knowing uh, what some of the things that you have worked on, probably very few of the things, um, it seems to me that, that there haven't even been that many foiled attacks mm-hmm. in Canada. So it doesn't seem like it should be the priority of the Canadian mm-hmm. government because it's really not our highest threat mm-hmm. right now. And I think there's a lot of issues that... Should be dealt with first, and should the terrorist threat change, then maybe we can reprioritize at that point. But I don't think, well, at least for most people I know, counterterrorism is not on their their list of things that the government should be most concerned about.
1: Right. I mean, you know, I, I guess a, a good example would be the current opioid crisis in Canada, yes. which has killed thousands of people in the past couple of years, and you know, even by the the Largest definition of terrorism, and by that I mean, if you throw in the attacks in Quebec City in January 2017, which the the um, perpetrator Alexander Biset, who pleaded guilty, was never actually charged with terrorism. Mm-hmm. He was charged with murder, but if you count as a terrorist attack. We've had eight deaths in 18 years, so that's less than you know, so it's, it's less than one every two years. And so the, it's a valid question as how much of a priority should something which causes eight deaths in 18 years versus Something which has caused thousands of deaths in two years, meaning the opioid crisis. So I think that's a very, very valid way of looking at it. The last question I want to ask, and this is something that um, I just find quite fascinating, is that you are the daughter of somebody who worked for CSIS, and not only just worked for CSIS, but was heavily involved in, in counterterrorism for the better part of 20 years um, as an analyst. Um, I wasn't here a lot of the time. Uh, certainly the week of 9 11, I wasn't around. But also having traveled, as you're aware, to various countries to meet with counterparts about and get their views on terrorism, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. What kind of impact did that have? Given that I didn't really, you knew I worked for CSIS. I was not something that I hid. Yeah. Um, what did that mean to you, if, if anything? And did it did it was it was it scary? Was it reassuring? Was it or just eh? It's just my dad. He just <laughs> happens to have a day job and he doesn't talk about the details. But yeah, I know what he does.
0: Well, I think on the lighter side, it was kind of neat that all my friends thought you were James Bond. I mean, that was very, very far from the truth. Trust me. (laughs) That was uh, that was a neat, um, you know, fantasy to encourage. Um, But I think apart from that, uh, I found it very comforting because you were as open as you could be with us kids about how. Uh, realistic it was that there was a danger of terrorism in our lives and I think that most of my friends were only getting that type of information from the news which was often quite dark or from their parents who didn't necessarily understand what was going on and they were just getting it from the news so I think getting that information from you really kind of is the reason I'm not overly concerned about being caught up in a terrorism attack. Mm. I recall you at some point telling me that there was more of a chance of me tripping outside and drowning in a puddle than there was of Mm. me being caught up in a terrorist attack. And I think that that has really driven the way that I live my life and that I don't shy away from experiences because of the tiny chance that somebody might attempt to attack whatever event I'm attending.
1: So I, I didn't succeed in securing the bejesus idea kind of thing. You did not.
0: That was not your tactic, which I very much appreciated.
1: Well, it, it, you know, I don't know if you, if you ever heard this, but our trip to Paris, which was in November of 27, or 2015, like you said, we actually left Paris the day of the Vatican attacks. Mm-hmm. The day after the attacks in Paris, a school board in Alberta canceled a school trip to Paris based on the terrorism fear. And I wrote at the time. Uh, actually, there's no safer city on the planet than Paris well, the day after a weird. terrorist attack. Yeah, because there's a gazillion cops in the streets with some very serious weapons, and if there were to be a second attack or a third attack, these guys probably wouldn't succeed because there is such massive firepower by, by police. So, so it's, it's it's it to me it's very comforting that you haven't become this paranoid, you know, sit in the corner and whimper kind of person because of the fact that I worked in counterterrorism and had a lot more knowledge about this thing. But in fact, have a more I would say realistic. And a more uh, sanguine view of the you know, threat to terrorism in Canada and abroad. So um, thank you. That was really interesting. It thank was an interesting to hear a very different perspective on things. Uh, for those of you who are listening, this is uh, hopefully the, not the last. I'm, I have some other people in mind who I want to interview for the podcast. So so thank you, Aaron, for agreeing to do this. My pleasure. Um, so to those who uh, are listening, this is the end of podcast 16. And I just want to remind you as to where you can find this podcast. There are versions on Apple, on Google, on Podbean, on YouTube, on Facebook, on Twitter, and on LinkedIn. You can see all the addresses on my webpage, borealisthreatenrisk.com. I'll be posting them there once the podcast has gone live. As usual, you can reach me on, uh, on email, borealisrisk@gmail.com, on Twitter at Borealis saves or on, uh, Facebook, on Facebook and on LinkedIn. So thanks for listening. I'd love to hear your feedback about this very uh, new feature of the podcast, meaning it, it, having somebody else with me here in the room doing the recording. So please send me your feedback as well as uh, whether you want to hear more of this kind of thing. So thanks for listening. I'll talk to you again in a fortnight. Until then, stay safe.
0: It may sound absurd but-